earlier, earlier today, um, we met by we, I mean myself and the worship team. We meet in this, we, on Monday to Friday, it's the work room. On Sunday, it's the prayer room. <laughs> and, and we just kind of gathered in there, and we couldn't stop laughing. Everybody in there was being silly. Everybody was laughing, joking, cutting up. We were in there trying to focus, trying to get, and everybody just started laughing, just having fun. And, all right, so the, the leader in me is like, all right, I got to shut this down. <laughs> we got business to do. We got things to do. And obviously, prayer's important. Come on, right? But I thought, we, we, we spent a significant amount of time talking about the power of community, mm-hmm. and I was watching it in front of me. I walked out, and one of the guys said, are y'all having a party in there? <laughs> I was like, kind of. Kinda. And, and, and while that brought such joy to my heart, here's, here's, here's what I began to quickly realize. Um, there's people in this room today and watching that stream today that would love to feel that kind of joy. That would love to have that kind of uncontrollable laughter in your life right now. We've been reading this passage of Scripture every week, and, and I want to I read it this morning. And I want to read it to those that might be in the room that would say, Dwayne, that's me. Oh, I laugh, but it's, it's just a show. It's just a, it's just a facade. I'm in a, I'm, in a, I'm in a valley. Here's what David said in Psalm 139, verse 10. <clears throat> Even there. Your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast, even there. And so before you hear a testimony, before you hear a sermon, here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to pray for you. So nobody's looking around. I want you to bow your heads all across. Dwayne, you're not supposed to do this till the end. Don't tell me what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Dwayne... That's me. I'm in a valley place. And I need for in my even there place for God's hand to guide me and for God's right hand to hold me. His word promises that he would. And so what I want to do this morning is just pray for you. If if you're in that kind of place, listen to me. I'm not going to call you up here. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call your name except to Jesus. And I'm going to do that under my breath this morning. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. If you could say, Dwayne, that's me. I'm in that kind of a place. Would you include me in this pastoral prayer this morning? Just kind of wave at me. Amen. Amen. Father, in the name that's above every name. Thank you for laughter and for joy and for community. Thank you that you allow us to gather as your people and have fun and be a family. But God, thank you that you're not just there 
on the peak moments. Even in the valley. Even in the dark place. Your hand guides us. And you hold us. So God, everyone in this room, everyone watching this online that's in a, in a challenging valley place. God, I, I don't know. I don't know why the valley's there. But God, I know that you're there with them. So God, would you hold them close? Would you lead and guide and direct them? And would, with your strong right hand, undergird them with your strength. In a moment when they feel weak, prove your strength in their life, in their circumstance, in Jesus' name. Amen. I just wanted to pray for you this morning. So every week we've had an incredible privilege of hearing several very powerful testimonies. Have you enjoyed that, by the way? Has that spoken to your heart? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, and I wrote these six names down in last year, and everyone that I wrote down has been able to come and share a powerful testimony, and I know today is going to be just the same. So today, we're going to hear from Debony Edwards. <laughs> Woohoo! act like I'm not nervous. All right, my little muffins, you're about to hear me roar. The ladies in our current Bible study will appreciate that statement. I didn't know how to do my testimony in 10 minutes, so um, I decided to do a timeline because you have to know the key points, parts of the whole story to understand it. I'm going to be reading it, so bear with me. In May 25th, 1983 is when I was born. I was a big surprise because I was supposed to be a boy. I'd never turn around. I was modest then, modest now. In 1985, my parents divorced. My dad remarried in 87, mom in 1990. Our home was quite nasty, never clean, never any food. I don't, I don't know exactly when the abuse started, but my memory of it was about five or six maybe. From early elementary to sixth grade, I was molested or beaten or both every single day. My sixth grade year, we found out, uh, we found my stepfather Mackie dead in our living room. He was uh, the reason my oldest brother was sent to military college. He was my protector. He was the only one who could fight off my six foot four, 300 pound brother. Justin beat on all, all of us, including my mother. I was the only one he molested. This was my chance, I left. I moved in with my dad and stepmom from sixth grade until the middle of 10th. We had home cooked meals every night. We were in church every time the doors were open. Family game nights, and the only time I'd see my mother and oldest brother were on the holidays. I was happy. I was forgetting all the things that had been done to me, never talking about them. My 10th grade year, I kept getting caught smoking my parents' cigarettes, and my stepmom kicked me out, giving my father the ultimatum, it's either me or her. I wasn't driving yet, having nowhere to go. I went back to my mom's 
and it wasn't long after that the abuse started back up. Thankfully, I stayed away much of the time at friends. Mom would be gone weeks at a time. And about a year and a half after I had moved in, my brothers had moved out. But I hated my mother more than I did my brothers. Our fights were much worse, both mentally and physically. She'd say things like she didn't want a girl, that what my brother did was my fault. I was five or six, maybe younger. He was seven years older, a preteen, and she, uh, a preteen. She'd say it didn't happen, even though he had been caught on several occasions, that it was normal. But the day she said she wished she would have killed me when she had the chance talking about aborting me was the day the physical abuse stopped because the rage inside of me won that day. She had already been hitting me earlier, but when she said that, I came flying up the stairs. I fought back and I didn't stop. I was 19. She's never laid hand on me since. At the age of 16, I'd, I was told I'd never have children. At the age of 18, I lost my first child. That's all I ever wanted was children of my own. At the age of 19, I had to have laser surgery to remove the scar tissue from the abuse. It was suffocating my cervix. I started college when I was, I started college and when I was 21 transferred to Valdosta. A friend from high school needed a roommate. It was my chance to run away again. By that time, my oldest brother had been in and out of jail, making and selling and on drugs. There was even a write-up on him in the AJC headlines reading, Justin Edwards, number one drug dealer of Atlanta, busted. At 23, I moved back up because I had married a military man. He had got orders to go back to Iraq, bought my first home, graduated college. When he came home, I found out about an affair he had had while overseas. We divorced when I was 25. The house, bills, everything was in my name. This was in 2008. It's also the year my oldest brother, my main abuser, died. He fell asleep behind the wheel. Economy crashed, lost my job, deep depression. It took six months to find another. Roommates, mental health, bills, fast forward to 2011, first big attack in my body. Couldn't work, lab rat, test after test, told the doctors what the attacks were not. Being told I'd die or go paralyzed from the attacks, I wasn't, it wasn't brain cancer, it wasn't seizures. There was no tumor in my brain. In 2011 is when I asked Jesus in my heart. I was at the altar every time the church doors were open. Anxiety, depression, bad relationships. January 2013, lost baby number two. May 2013, baptized. It was the last time my daddy was in church. Two weeks later, we lost him to cancer. None of us knew. None of us knew. Never ignore the tug of the Holy Spirit. I know wholeheartedly it was a God thing that I got baptized that day. Daddy got to see his little girl get baptized. His death put me in a deep, dark depression, questioning my faith, only going to church when I had nursery. In 2014, I was raped. Depression went deeper. I locked in myself in the room, in my bedroom, every day after work. I had what I call my crash days um, every Sunday, and the only day I didn't was the only day I didn't work. 
I'd stay asleep all day. I didn't want to face my reality. But, in, but to the world, I was goofy Debony. In 2015, I met my ex-husband. Thought it was the real deal. Everything moved quickly. We married a year after knowing one another, 10 years after my first marriage. Lost baby number three. I quit my job, packed up my house of 10 years, and sold it and bought a farm in Statham, Georgia. Told no one in my family. I was protecting my happiness, I found, because the abuse was still going on. My brother, my, that's still living, put his hands on me November 2015. I had had enough, and once again, everyone was trying to make it okay, brush it under the rug. I didn't speak to them for a year. Ended up losing my mind in 2017. I got on Facebook Live and started telling my story. I'm not going to lie, it felt great. I had a lot of pent-up anger. Many thought I was on hardcore drugs, but those who knew, who truly knew me, know me, know that that wasn't the case because how much I hate drugs. But it landed me in three different mental hospitals and 52 days in jail. You see, my mind couldn't take what it had been through any longer. I snapped, my brain broke, literally. When I was told in 2011 I'd die or go paralyzed, I went back to college for my early childhood education degree just so I could learn how a child's mind is supposed to develop. I went to every class I could on mental health. I read faith-based books about it, went to Christian counseling because my mind was so screwed up. In 2011, I was told I'd never live or work on my own again. In 2018, I divorced my second husband because he left when I was losing my mind. As soon as I got home, I started working. Four hours, then eight hours, then 16 hours as my doctor would release me. 40 hours to working two jobs, now at the job I've been at for over three years in a management position. Living out on my own, going on two years, I'm currently taking baby steps towards building my dream home because home life and peace are so important to me. A happy home has always been this girl's dream. I'm leading Women of Worth ministry here at church for a little over a year now. And it was the missing puzzle piece I so needed in my life. I love my ladies. There has been much restoration and healing in my family and forgiveness. I've been back active in church for five years in my pursuit of Jesus for 11. When I was told I'd never work or live on my own again, I had sold my farm and most of my things, moved back in with my mother for three years. And during that time, I was finally able to forgive her at the age of 35. I'm 39 now. She's now my closest friend. My family still has its struggles, and we're still healing. There's still boundaries I have to place. But God, my mother's been in church since 2016. I see a huge difference in her. My mental health is the best it's ever been. And now God places people in my life that I can help and that help me too. Brought me to a church home and around the right people to love the life back into me. My mind still wigs out from time to time, especially when a man is trying to get close to me. I start having those things called feelings or I isolate, overthink um, when the world and my thoughts get heavy. But God's breaking those chains continuously. 
or my pastor is preaching on isolation when I'm at home doing that exact thing. <laughs> Talk about a God wink. I haven't had one of those attacks in over five years. I haven't had one of those crash days since I've been back out on my own. I never accepted the diagnosis that I'd never work again because of my mental health. God has given me back everything I lost twice over. I want to become the woman of God he created me to be because I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Anxiety and depression no longer rule over me. Though God's love and word, through God's love and word, I'm learning to overcome, and I'm not done. In 2017, I lost everything, my home, what I thought was my dream, a cute little farm five, on five acres with a barn, all my farm animals, my truck, my license, sold everything or it was being taken away from me. I was being told I'd never work or live on my own again. My husband left, but God. I sold that farm for $45,000 more than I bought it for. Paid off all the bills, debt ex that my ex left me in. Bought Miss Fancy, the vehicle I'm now driving. My mom just ended up giving me and my brother five acres each. It's where I intend on building my dream home when I'm ready and prices go back down, hopefully. I was given a little trailer that was my daddy's rotting away in mama's pasture. I restored it and got it back on the road again. My uncle's just given me a work truck that he no longer needs so I can work on it with my land instead of messing up Miss Fancy. Instead of farm animals, I now have three, pup, three pups, my wiggle butts that I love very much. It's cool because they don't headbutt like the goats did. <laughs> did I mention that my job came with a house that I only have to pay $150 a month to live in? I didn't ask for any of this. That's our God. I tell many it's like I'm living out the story of Job when God tells you he restores all that you've lost. Believe him. All it takes is your obedience and faith in him. Never give up. Yes, you're going to hear a testimony from me today. And it's funny because, you know, a lot of, um, I, I grew up in church. I probably have a different testimony than a lot of the ones you've heard so far. I had very three very strong female role models in my life. My, I had two grandmothers and my mom who were prayer warriors and women of God. So I have a very, um, it's my legacy. I have a very strong legacy. And people also probably think, well, you're a pastor's wife. What troubles could pastors probably have, possibly have? Can I tell you plenty? <laughs> Same troubles that you have. My testimony starts back in, oh my goodness, I guess 1990. And from the, from the time I was a little girl, I, I loved babies, and I wanted a baby so badly. And I knew I was going to have a baby. And my mom never had any problem getting pregnant. She had three. And so when it came time for me to have a baby, I was ready. We were going to have a baby. So we tried. And we tried. And we tried. 
And all of my friends were having babies. And I couldn't understand, Lord, I'm trying to do everything right. Why am I not having a baby? You know the desire in my heart, I want to have a baby so badly. We continued to try. And my sister-in-law got pregnant. And I thought, Lord, how close can it get? I don't know how much more this I can take. Lo and behold, all of a sudden I, I did get pregnant out of the blue. So surprised. Well, of course, we were so excited that Dwayne told everybody. Dwayne told the teller at the bank and the cashier at Wendy's. Everybody knew. He told everybody. So we just put it all out there because we didn't know. You know, this was our first baby. Well, about six weeks into my pregnancy, I lost the baby. I was floored. I thought, Lord, I waited so long, and now for this to happen? How can this happen to me? taking care of myself. I'm in good health. I don't understand. And the doctor said, sometimes that just happens with your first baby. Of course, I didn't want to hear that. I want a baby. Don't tell me that. So uh, another few months went by, and I got pregnant again. Thank you, Lord. This time, we didn't tell anybody. <laughs> we're not going through that again. I told Dwayne, I said, we're, not, we're telling a close family. Well, this time, I made almost through my first trimester. I'm so excited. I lost another one. I said, God, I can't take any more of this. I can't take it emotionally. I can't take it physically. I want a baby so bad. Please, Lord. And I went back to my doctor. And this is what my doctor said. He said, it's just nature's way of taking care of a problem. I'm not going to test you until you lose at least one more. I said, nope. I can't handle another one. I want a baby too bad to go through that. Well, because of my strong legacy with these women in my life, I knew the power of prayer. And I knew I needed to do something. So every day on my lunch hour, I'd skip lunch. And I'd go out to my car and I would fast. And I would pray and I would beg God, God, please give me a baby. I want a baby so bad. You know that I'm not asking anything wrong. I just want a baby to love. And I fasted and I fasted and I prayed. And, I, and, my, and my church family were praying with me. They knew how bad I wanted a baby. Kathy was there. She remembers praying. And I never forget, we had a, a preacher come in and speak one Sunday in and, and a he said something, there's, there's someone here who wants a baby. I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to have a baby. Well, of course, the whole church turned around and looked at Donna. And I was like, oh, Lord, please let it be. Because, you know, people say things sometimes. It's not always God. So I'm just hoping that this is God. So we went on vacation that year. And Dwayne went out on a deep-sea fishing trip. And he happened to go out on a, on a boat that was called the Emmanuel. So it just so happened there was a retired Methodist pastor who operated this vessel. And he was a little bit sneaky because what he would do is he'd take these guys out on these fishing trips, not tell them what his motives were, get them out there in the middle of the ocean, and then lead them in a Bible study before he let them fish. <laughs> well, Dwayne, his personality the way it is, he, he struck up a conversation with Captain Marler. And 
began to share our story with him. Captain Marler said, do you think your wife would be okay if when we get back to dock that I prayed with her? And he said, I'm sure she'd be fine with it. So we got back to dock, and he came and he talked to me, and he said, he kind of told me a little bit, he said, Captain Marler would like to pray with you. And I said, okay. I'm thinking Methodist pastor, he's probably going to take me to the side, have a little prayer with me. No, he circled us up on the dock. We all joined hands, and he cried out to the way-making God. And he said, you bring that baby to see me next summer. That was in September of 1992. In July 28th, 1993, I had my miracle. Stand up, miracle baby. That's my miracle baby. That's my miracle baby. 13 months later, God confirmed I was healed. Stand up, confirmation. And we passed in the hall and we got pregnant with that one. It was a very uncomfortable season in my life. But I will tell you this. I had never been closer to God than I was at that time. I sought him out with everything in my heart. And that's when things kind of changed with, for me in my relationship with the Lord. I had a strong family. I had people who, who were praying for me. And, and I had a strong church family. And it built my faith. Fast forward five years. Mikey's in kindergarten, Matthew's three. And we get the news that my sweet mama has cancer. Many of you didn't know my mama, and I wish you could have. She's a prayer warrior. She's my best friend. We did everything together. She was the first Grammy. She has strong faith, though. I'll never forget, she was diagnosed in uh, 98, March of 98. She went through the summer. She had to take chemo. She had to take radiation. And, and uh, that uh, fall, they pronounced her clean. We think we've got it. Everything's okay. Now, there is one little spot on your spine. We think that's osteoporosis, though, brought on by all the chemotherapy and everything. Well, they were wrong. January of 99, she called me and she said, Donna, I'm losing feeling in my leg. We don't know what's going on. Daddy's taking me to the emergency room. I just didn't want you to worry. And they get there and they do some tests and find out that she has a 10-inch tumor wrapped around her spine. And they try to debulk it. They try to go in and remove it. They can't because it's too vascular and she would bleed to death if they did. That was the beginning of January. And then February 5th, they called us in because she had went in for an MRI. She was very claustrophobic. They had put her under every time they'd have to put her under to get her MRIs done because she couldn't stand it. Well, they put her under and because, and they found out that her blood pressure was bottoming out, so she didn't come out from under the coma at that point. And so they all called us in. I'll never forget driving to the hospital that night and crying out to God again, please don't take my mama. She's my best friend. I can't even imagine my life without my mama. And God spoke to me in the vehicle that night, and he said, your, your mama's going to be healed. And I said, thank you, Jesus. She's going to be healed. And she was. She was healed in a different way than I thought. The next day, as we sat there and waited for her to take her last breath, I held her hand. 
And she finally did, and she went on to be with the Lord, and I knew she was with the Lord. But in my heart, I was so mad. I was so mad. I wanted my mama. Some of you understand that feeling. No matter how old you get, you want your mama. There's just sometimes you want your mama. And I said, God, how can I live without my mama? She was my prayer warrior. She's the one who kept me strong when I felt weak in my faith. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I wanted to throw myself on the floor and just pitch a fit. That's what I wanted to do. I felt like a little girl who just wanted to throw myself on the floor and pitch a fit. But I will tell you once again, because of her and what she had taught me and how she had raised me, that scripture came to my mind, Romans 8, 28. Working all things out for your good. You don't understand what I'm doing now. But, but the big picture, I'm working all things out for your good. And he brought me a peace that I can't explain. Did I still miss her? Yeah. Was I still happy, unhappy that she was gone? Absolutely. But God knew it. I just cried out to him and told it. He already knew it, right? But he brought me peace. And that's when I began to develop, to develop my, life, my life versed. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In everything you do, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So I'm here to tell you, and, and this is something I learned from that too. I had to step away and, and develop my own strong faith because my mom had been my prayer warrior. She had been my strong faith person that I leaned on when something was going wrong. Mama, pray. Mama, pray. Mama, please pray. Donna had to pray now. Donna had to find her own faith. So I'm here to tell you the lowest lows when you think you can't go on anymore. There is a God who meets you there. And sometimes things work out the way you think, the way you want them to. And you get your babies. You get your miracle babies. Sometimes you want your mama to live and God takes her on because that's his perfect plan for whatever reason. But regardless of what it is, find your own relationship with the Lord. Rest in him, stay strong, and trust him no matter what you're going through. I'm quite sure that the reason the Lord had me have these folks share these testimonies with you, and, and, and oh, by the way, there's plenty more in this church that could have shared. See, when you walk with the Lord, you have this idea, or people have this idea that there is no struggle, and I'm going to tell you that that's incorrect. Donna said it so well, even in the struggle. Even there. Uh, I, I want to end this series with, with this thought. We, we talked about in, in week one that we find strength in the context of community. Last week we talked about finding strength in the power of perspective. And this week we find strength when we rest in relationship. I want to talk to you about rest. Rest. Probably not the kind of rest that 
that word is normally associated with. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said these words. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And this is the part you got to get. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear. The burden I give you is light. You find rest for your, for your souls. I'm going to tell you that it's one thing to be physically exhausted. It's another thing to be mentally exhausted. But I'm going to tell you there is no exhaustion like when your soul is exhausted. Donna said, you, you think that pastors don't struggle with things like that. I'm going to tell you a real quick little story. Maybe it's not fair for me to ask these folks to share a testimony and me not share one. Give you the cliff notes. Is that all right? Some of you might remember a little thing that happened in March of 2020 called COVID. Um, what you might not remember is that the week the NBA shut down and the week Major League Baseball shut down and the week we ran out of toilet paper, my dad died. Um, and it, it was one of those, he was 90, and you think, you, you know, on a logical perspective, you think, well, you know, the clock's ticking, he's 90 years old, but you just don't, you just don't let your head go there, right? You just, you just think he's going to be there forever, and then when I got the call, I broke every traffic law in three counties trying to get to my dad before he passed and didn't get there. And so now I'm trying to lead a church through a pandemic, and we're shutting the church down, and we're live streaming, and I go to my office to try to find a book to how to lead a church during a pandemic and there wasn't one and we go back and forth and oh by the way I was right in the middle of uh, finishing my degree and I don't know if you've ever gone back to school at 50 but it's kind of tough <laughs> to make a really long story short by the time I by the time September of 2020 got around I was exhausted I was the enemy had convinced myself that I convinced me that I didn't have what it took anymore to lead this church you don't know that you've heard me tell part of this story you had not heard at all at a leadership team meeting I told the guys I gotta take some time off I'll still be here on Sundays but I gotta take some time I sent a I sent a text message to a, a pastor friend and I said it feels like I've been hitting a boulder with a sledgehammer and I'm just not sure I got the strength to pick the hammer up again not easy for me to share this kind of vulnerability and weakness because I don't I want you guys to see me as a strong man of faith and and I'm just going to tell you that sometimes there's cracks in the armor I'd convince myself that I didn't have what it took anymore and that you would be better off with somebody else and so I I did all I know to do is I, I needed to step, I needed to rest. Not my body, yeah, that, but I, I needed some rest for my soul. So I took four, the four weeks in October, and I did four different things on those four weeks. Week number one, my wife and I went to uh, a cabin in Cleveland that my father-in-law owns, and we were just going to 
Before I, I did anything else, I wanted to spend some time with my wife. I got up early that morning, our first morning, got a cup of coffee, went out on the little porch on his cabin and sat down. And I just opened my journal and I just, I didn't, I didn't know why. I didn't know what I was going to write. <laughs> You've heard me tell the story of I came away from that week understanding the Lord told me that I only had three sermons. You remember me telling you that story? That was the morning. And I thought, that's odd. Because that, that one thought became purpose, passion, and people. I'm like, God, I don't know why you're telling me this. I don't know that I can do it anymore. But in that moment, in that first moment of that four weeks, I sensed hope and I sensed strength. And even though my soul was exhausted, I knew that God had a, a work for me that week. The second week, someone I consider a pastor, someone I, I have listened to for literally my entire Christian experience. I had an opportunity to go and, and have a luncheon with him. And he spoke words of affirmation and power into my life. And I and I. I sensed something welling inside. In the third week, I went on a retreat. Some of you might remember, I sent some pictures from this, the Gatlinburg Mansion, one of the most beautiful places I'd ever been. So we get to the first session, and I think, wow, man, I'm going to hear something from this teacher that's just going to blow my mind, and I didn't. And In fact, most of what I heard from the Lord this, that week was behind around a fire pit by myself. And on the last day, I heard three words. God always speaks to me in threes. I don't know why. Three words. It's all I can handle. <laughs> she knows me. You know what he said? Stand your ground. The fourth week, I went away by myself to that same little cabin. And I walked away with an entire year. How does that, how do you go in four weeks from, I don't know, I, I can do this anymore till I can't wait to get back home to my church? I'm going to tell you, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle and you'll find rest for your souls. I'd love to tell you that you'll get through this valley whether it's now or later because I give you some profound scriptural knowledge and inspire you with my well-crafted sermon. That's probably not what's going to get you through. I'd love to tell you that if you'll come and, and listen to our growth group and listen to our songs and, and raise your hands and worship with us because we're so talented that that's what's going to get you through, that's probably not what's going to get you through. I will tell you this. If you'll develop, listen to me, I'm not talking to you about religion. I'm not talking to you about church membership. If you'll fall in love with Jesus and have a relationship with him, that's it. Could it be that simple? Yeah. 
first thing I want you to hear, listen. We have this idea that we have to, we have to go find God. That if I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus, that there's this, all of these check boxes I've got to check. I've got to do the right thing and say the right words. Here's what you need to know, and you need to write this down. Even if you're not a note taker, write this down. God initiated that relationship. You didn't start it. To put it in terms we can all understand, God sent you the friend request. <laughs> saying, I'm, saying I'm searching for God is like saying I'm searching for oxygen. You know, he's more present than the air you breathe. You don't have to search for God. You have to call his name. And it's a relationship, y'all. And listen, I'll choose relationship over religion every day. God initiated it. Can I prove it to you? Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his... God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Sounds like he's done the work. And we have this, we have this insane idea that we're the one that's holding this relationship together. That the catalyst of my relationship with God is me. That my weakness and my sin is powerful enough to sever that relationship. How insane is that? Read Romans chapter 8. For nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Not tribulation or peril or sword. Nothing in all of creation is able to separate you from the love of God. He established and initiated the relationship. Colossians 1 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the one holding this relationship together. And aren't you glad? Jesus is the moment-by-moment moment sustainer of your life. Take a deep breath. Now say you're welcome. Oh, thank you. Right? <laughs> That was, a, that was close. <laughs> Have you ever had this feeling that, okay, well, I'm close to God on Monday and not so close to God on th Thursday, and then, you know, they sang the song I like on Sunday, so I was close to God then. You ever felt that way? Stop. Stop. Now listen, you can get caught up in activities and attitudes that are far from God, that are, that are not Christ-like, okay? Right? You can never be far from God. But there's a difference between God's, being in God's vicinity and being in His presence. See, there's sometimes Don and I will sit on our couch in our living room with the television on. And I might have a laptop in my lap, and she might have her phone or her computer, and there's something on HGTV, so I got my AirPods in. 
right? We're, we're in the same vicinity, right? But sometimes, laptop's closed, phones are off, and she's right here. There's a difference. See, sometimes we come to church, and listen, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not dumb enough to believe that everybody that walks in here and listens to this sermon is connected and present. But some of you are. Some of you are just in this vicinity. I'm going to tell you, if you want to go through the hard time, you better find yourself in the presence of God. (laughs) There There were soldiers at the cross of Christ. And they were casting lots for his garment. They were feet away from the Savior of the world. And casting lots and gambling for his clothes and his worldly possessions. But one of them, one of them said, surely... This was the Son of God. See, there's a lot in His presence. I mean, in His vicinity. There's only one in His presence. So what does my relationship with God have to do with this difficult season? I'm going to tell you in seven minutes. Here I go. Write this down. My relationship with God changes how I walk through the valley. David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's there's one thing I want you to notice there, and I don't know that I ever recognized it until this week. See, if you back up a, a, a couple of verses, David said, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So listen, get this. I hope I hope you get it like I got it. I'm going to lie down in the green pastures, but I'm going to walk through the valley. And the reason I can walk through the valley is because I've spent time in the pasture of his presence. In fact, can I tell you that the reason you might be having difficulty in the valley is because you didn't spend time in, in the pasture of his presence. You're trying to develop a relationship. See, here's what we're great at. We'll ignore God until the phone call comes. We'll ignore God until the, the, the bills are stacking up. We'll ignore God until the doctor tells us something. We'll ignore God. And I'm going to tell you that he hears your cry. But I want you to understand something. I, if, if you'll take my story that I just gave you, the reason I was able to go from one place to another in a short period of time was because I had spent time in the pasture of his presence. And I'm not patting myself on my back because I, I had nothing to do with that. That was Jesus truth of the matter is some of these valleys that we walk in are ordained of the Lord back up and and read um, when Jesus first started his ministry he goes in the desert and he's he fasts right you know that story he's tempted by the enemy he's fasting if you'll read the very beginning of the story the Bible says that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness Could it be that you're in a valley place not because God's punishing you, God's teaching you, and God's growing you? Write this down. God loves you enough to interrupt your present to protect your future. 
In fact, sometimes the purpose of the valley is to draw us into relationship. Sometimes the purpose of the valley is we've, we've ignored God, and now he's calling us into relationship with him. Could it be that that's how he had to get your attention? Now, I, listen, I'm, I'm of the opinion that God is a God of love and, and grace and mercy, but we just read that his rod and his staff, they comfort me. You know what those rod, that rod and staff was used to do? It was used to guide and it was used to correct. And maybe you're in a season where God's like, all right, you got off course. We got to get you back online. So some of these valleys were ordained of the Lord. Some of the valleys that you're in are the result of the free will actions of fallen humanity. In other words, somebody's choice caused you to be in a bad place. Maybe it was your choice. Maybe it was the choice of somebody else's. What do you do then? What do you do then if, if you're in the middle of a dark place because somebody put you there? You just heard Devaney's story beautiful story of, of redemption from abuse. A little child, a little innocent child. What do you do in that moment? Listen to me. Just because God didn't ordain the valley, write this down, doesn't mean he can't use it. How many believe God is powerful enough to take that deep, dark moment and use it for his glory and your good? In every story you heard, all six of them, you heard the story of God taking a painful place and redeeming it for his glory and someone's good. You know why? Because that's what he does. What the enemy meant for evil, what the enemy meant to harm you, what the enemy meant to kill you, if you'll allow him to, God will take it, redeem it, restore it, deliver you from it, turn it, and use it for his glory. Write this down. My relationship with God changes every other relationship. Do, do you know when I'm cultivating my relationship with, with God, I'm a better husband? Do you know when I cultivate my relationship with God, I'm a better father? I'm a better pastor? Your, the way you cultivate relationship with God changes the way you relate to those that are closest to you, they relate, they change how you relate to those who are far from God. You get close to Jesus and you'll start loving who he loves. And, and then all of a sudden people who are far from God will stop irritating you and you'll have a heart for them. Y'all didn't hear that. Do you know that cultivating a relationship with God will change how your, your relationship with you? You'll stop lying to yourself in the mirror. You'll start seeing yourself the way God sees you. It'll change your relationship with your church. It'll change your relationship with your money. If you'll cultivate your relationship with God that He initiated, it'll change everything. Everything. So here we go. Last thing. God's done his part. What's my part? I'm going to tell you. Two things. 
First thing, um, he sent you that friend request, right? Stop swiping. See, I have these, I have these uh, on my Facebook, right? It'll say, you know, these people sent you friend requests. These, pe- these are people you may know. And I'm like, I didn't like you before Facebook. I don't want to. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that to all y'all. <laughs> See, I, I, I think it's one thing to, to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God and that He's the Savior of the world. It's one thing to recognize that, and it's one thing to cultivate that relationship with Him. So how do I accept that friend request? You know what you do? You believe in your heart that God, that Jesus is the Son of God and God raised Him from the dead. You confess that with your mouth. You believe in your heart. Is that all? No. That's where you begin. That's when you say, yes, I'm responding to the friend request. Yes. Yes, I want that. The second thing I'm, I'm going to give you, it's, this is as profound and deep a, a recommendation you're ever going to hear from this pulpit. And you've heard it 10,000 times. There's no sermon I can preach. There's nothing I can say that's more important than what I'm going to tell you right now to the believer. Obviously, to those far from God, you've you got to say yes, all right? You've got you to follow Jesus. That's the most important thing. To those of you that have said yes to Jesus, this one thing. Make time with God a greater priority, period. Well, do I not? You know, I do my devotion. Listen to it very carefully. I should have made you write it down. Make time with God a greater priority. Well, I I pray. Well, yippee. Make time with God a greater priority. Because I promise you, I promise you, I don't care how close to God you think you are right now, He wants more. He wants a deeper relationship with you. So I want us to do something to help with that. All right? Something very practical. Every January, y'all get mad at me when I talk to you about 21 days of prayer and fasting. And half of that admonition you don't hear. You hear the fasting part and you think, oh, Lord, I, let me go buy a case of Snickers in December so I don't have to. I'm going to challenge you with something in August, the month of August. And and listen, I want every one of you to participate. We're we're going to do just water and crackers the entire month of August. Okay, now that I got your attention. We're going to call this initiative First 15. If I told you that there was something you could do for 15 minutes, that would change everything in your life, would you be interested in it? 15 minutes. In the, and I'm not even going to tell you you got to do it very first thing. In the first part of your day, how many of you got to have a little, you know, caffeine rejuvenation first thing in the morning? Anybody? All right, so I'm not telling you to skip your coffee. I'm just saying the first part of your day, 15 minutes, and here's what it is. 
You're going to spend five minutes in God's Word. Five minutes. You do more than that, that's on you. I'm saying, I'm asking you to commit to five minutes, okay? Five minutes. Five. You spend five minutes talking to Jesus. And then you spend five minutes in worship. You spend five minutes in God's Word. Five minutes in prayer. That's one worship song, by the way. Five minutes in worship. Where you, you don't worry about your schedule for that day. You do nothing but concentrate on the goodness of God and the great things he's done. And you tell him, you brag on him for five minutes. Can I tell you something? I've, you'll call me about week two and go, I can't do it in 15 minutes. And it's changing everything. Well, Dwayne, I, I, I do a devotion. Do something new. Man, how many want to see God do a new thing in you? How many want to see God do a new thing in our church, by the way? Oh, by the way, he can't do a new thing in us until he does a new thing in you. He can't do a new thing in us until he does a new thing in you. So once you take that connection card, everybody that will, don't check it if you're not going to. On the very back, under next steps, it says, I'll join you in first 15. We're going to start Monday, August 1st. Some of you are already doing this. All I'm doing is asking you, even if you're already doing something just like that, to reaffirm your commitment to cultivate your relationship with Jesus. And here's what I will promise you. September 1st, you'll look at me and say, thank you. So here's how we're going to pray as we leave today. Hey, if you're here and you haven't said yes to that friend request, do that today. What does that look like? Lord, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that he purchased my sin on the cross and that he rose from the dead, and I believe that with my heart. That prayer, a sincere prayer just like that, is how you accept that friend request. And then you tell somebody. You tell me. You get on Facebook, you do whatever, you, however it is, you tell somebody. You tell somebody. And maybe you're here and you could say, maybe your relationship with Jesus, that you've not cultivated it like you need to. I'm just going to challenge you today. To say, God, you've done your part. From this day forward, I'm going to do mine. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that we serve a God that wants a relationship with us. Forgive us, God, for taking that for granted. Forgive us, Lord, for those moments we've ignored that relationship not cultivated it but God today we recognize that the way we walk through the valley is to lie down in the pasture of your presence so God I pray for those again that might be walking through a difficult moment difficult season difficult valley that today God we'll honor you with our commitment to our relationship with the Son of God the Savior the Holy Spirit our Father in Heaven We love you, Jesus.
Come on down, just as with us in a moment of worship. Let's just. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in my darkness. Jesus for making a way where there is no way. Would you offer him praise? Amen. 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 Before I let you go, I just need to mention one thing to you. Um, and many of you have asked. Um, you know, it's with a sad heart. We, we talk about uh, Debbie Coran. I'm sure most of you've heard, but Debbie Coran uh, lost her battle with cancel, cancer this past Wednesday morning. Um, Debbie Coran has been a part of this church for a very, very, very long time. Uh, the, the miracle that, that uh, Donna was talking about, Mikey, uh, Debbie and Tony brought Mikey gifts. <laughs> uh, so that's how long we've been connected with that family. So our hearts are very heavy, um, and I know yours are as well. So I want to give you... Um, as much information as I have about the, the memorial service. I know this, it, it, this is just the best way for us to disseminate this information. So um, it, it's going to be next Saturday, June, June. Help me, Lord. July the 30th at 11 o'clock here at the church. Um, and so obviously we, we'd love to see you there. Um, those of you that would like to, um, we're going to serve the family a meal afterwards um, in the Robbie Johnson Student Center. Um, and so if, if you'd be willing to participate in that or help serve, help set up tables, uh, your, your help is certainly uh, wanted and desired because uh, we, we want to do all we can to serve this family this, this, during this time. Amen? Isn't that, isn't that what we're supposed to do? All right. So Donna said she'd be contacting our, la our ladies. If, you w if you're here and you're not a lady, and, or, and you just want to let us know that you want to be a part of that process, just make a note of that on your connection card and drop it in the, in the box on the way out. Would you do that? God bless you all. Have a great afternoon.